It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. What a morning of wild earnings swings on this busiest day of the season. Twitter, as you just heard, Tesla, Microsoft, Ford, 3M, the airlines and more. Futures are up as the S&P is seven-tenths from a record high. Got green arrows in Europe. Stock 600 testing some critical levels. Durables, though, were not good. Biggest drop in four months. Ten-year, 176. Our roadmap begins with Twitter tanking, as you know. Tesla up big. Two big movers on this busiest day of the season. Amazon and Intel report tonight. Plus the Boeing bike for Southwest, the largest user of the 737 MAX, taking another big hit. Its fleet's still being grounded, but shares are rallying ahead of the bell. CEO Gary Kelly, he will join us first on CNBC This Hour. And taking a bite of Beyond Meat, the stock's down 59% from the all-time high as bearish bets mount ahead of the company's lockup expiration and 3Q results. So let's start with two big movers in tech. Tesla surging in the pre-market after surprising with this quarterly profit, record deliveries, some cost cuts. Company says it does expect to deliver more than 360,000 vehicles this year. That's at the low end of the targeted range. And then there's Twitter. You just heard Ned Siegel tumbling on a quarterly miss, weak revenue guide, despite DAUs that did beat consensus up 17% year on year. But this bug in the ad product, Jim, uh, that kept them from basically getting good data to share with their ad partners, took three points off of growth. Very self-inflicted wounds, a kind of a subdued Ned Siegel we've come to realize as a CFO. He's this spokesman for the person, not Jack Dorsey, and for the firm. And you know what? I come back and I just say, look, it is still a must-buy. If you want to introduce the Joker, you want to buy on Twitter. But they did have seasonality. And when you listen to the companies that are like Snap, they don't talk about seasonality because the growth path is so good. So Twitter self-inflicted wounds on how they addressed privacy issues. Uh, Twitter uh, ad serving, not necessarily perfect, but Twitter still vital as a buy uh, for advertisers. Uh, the thing that I guess made it so that you're not going to see a bounce is he did say the problems are going to continue in the fourth quarter. Y- you never want to hear that because what it says is you're going to get gobsmacked again. So I find Twitter even down six to be a tough buy. Uh, I just was kind of flabbergasted that they made so many mistakes themselves. Uh, do, you th- do you think it's as critical an ad buy given the number of outlets that are coming online this year and next that will also be ad inventory possibilities? I, I don't know. I mean, I take Ned at face value when he says, look, if you want to know where the Joker got the best impressions, it was on Twitter. I still don't understand why they never just say, look, you have to watch Twitter because of our president. They never do that. They never just say, you know what, Twitter is integral to trying to figure out things you don't know about. They still don't know how to tell their own story. And I find that their story is far too diffuse versus what we all know Twitter as being, which is the way the president disseminates information in the way that they used to do press conferences. But they don't do that. Now, maybe they're afraid to be able to say, hey, listen, we're the president's best friend because the president's unpopular in a lot of places. But... They don't talk about being a must-look. They talk about screwing up. Ned was so... I mean, I felt like to say to Ned, hey, man, come on, snap out of it. You're too down today. Georgetown's doing better than It wasn't just Siegel, though. Uh, Jack Dorsey did address this on the call. Take a listen. A lot of hair suit. Unfortunately, we had some missteps and bugs in our map ads amidst greater-than-expected seasonality in July and August. Despite that, 
We saw strong September results and good advertiser momentum. Our goal in rebuilding our core ad and map technology stacks was to address exactly these sorts of issues and increase engineering agility. Because of this work, we are much better equipped to identify and fix issues we come across today than we were just one to two years ago. Still painful, but no longer existential as it was in our past. Well, I, I don't want existential. I mean, I'm not asking for a Camus or Sart. I mean, I'm talking about trying to get better than expected numbers. And one of the things that really bothered me was like, oh, you mean like things I thought were working weren't? So it, it was kind of like a primer on, hey, you know what? We're not as good as you think, uh, but we're going to get better. And I didn't know that they were bad. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, when you look at a stock that's really down, it's because people are saying, wow, not only did I not know they were doing badly, but they haven't fixed what's doing badly. So both Jack and Ned, um, you know, they just had that kind of feel of a team that, you know what, we didn't make the playoffs this year. And, you know, it's early in the season, except not for them. They're not making the playoffs. They're not in the playoffs. I mean, they know it. Yeah, they know they're not in the playoffs. And it's always tough because, you know what, there's no draft choice at the top if you tank. They got to wait a while, too. Yes. You know, for the draft. They got to wait a while for the draft. You know, I think, next year. They, look, they, I want to tell Jack the trading deadlines next week. You better come up with something. But it was a call where they gave you very little reasons to own it other than the 17% TAUs. I came away from the call depressed. I came away thinking that I don't know whether I need Xanax or Lamictal. I don't know whether you need one of those powerful David anticonvulsives. But it was really, well, you know. All but, you might really need is a look at Tesla to feel differently. Well, that was, that was powered by THC and CBD. <laughs> now, there was a call. I mean, yeah. I got to tell you, Ford sounded like Tesla, and Tesla sounded like Ford. I, I, Tesla was like, it was like listening to a call f- from a real company that made cars and made money. Not only that, they wanted to spend a lot of time on the energy business, on, on solar. Wasn't that yeah, a, it was interesting. It was so trying to get you kind of excited about, about that China, again. China, the fastest to grow, um, to put up a factory <laughs> and hire people. And this was a, this was a, I'm not saying it was subdued, Elon. But it was a guy who makes cars. I kind of like, I enjoy him. I enjoy this kind of not wise guy. You Elon. enjoy the non-Twitter Musk in some Ouch. ways. Yes. I mean, look, he gave you, now people hate this. And the people who on, on Twitter to me today, which is by, hey, by the way, uh, Jack and Ned, we actually read Twitter. Now I feel like I shouldn't after listening to your call. Uh, you, you, you know, Tesla comes out and basically, you, you say something good about Tesla and people say, hey, you said it was bad. You said bad about Tesla. You say, well, now you got me caught in a short. Look, the fact is, is that Tesla delivered a profit, but there are a lot of people who think it was still hocus pocus. I come back and say, I look at that cash position and I say, you know what? Five, over $5 billion, but $5.3 the most billion. Dollars. They had some actual cash flow in the quarter. Yeah, free cash and the Gigafactory. But David. I mean, Musk is still in, very promotional. Just take this from the call. Now that we feel the Model 3 production is in a good place and headed to a great place, we've restored resources to Tesla solar and storage. And so that's going to be, I think, the really crazy growth for as far into the future as I can imagine. True, but he didn't. He didn't trash negative analysts. No, it, he was clearly sober in the cause. There's no doubt about that. Okay, you tell me. What? No, I mean I'm not saying that he you ever was. Questioning his sobriety. But, uh, no, th- no, I wasn't. I wasn't. No. Be careful in, in that conclusion that you just drew. I didn't. I'm talking a little more CBD oriented. Anyway. Right. But I, I do think THC, no THC. Remember, there's CBD is just to rub on yourself, right? Isn't it? It's better than uh, people say. It's else. better than icy hot. But it was just a regular call. And that's one of the reasons why the stock so much, because, you know, he wasn't on Twitter 
saying that, you know, this was the greatest quarter ever. I'm going to make 500,000 cars. There was none of that, David. There wasn't. And the China thing, you know, look, it turns out that if you like jet, like, by the way, like Dan Shulman, if you work with the Chinese government, you can still do a tremendous amount of business. Uh, there was a fair amount of expense control in this quarter. Yeah. Stock's still down for the year. Mm. Uh, this is the first visit back to 300 cents February. But this would be the best day in, uh, what, since 2013? Long time. You know, look, it was, you know, look, I don't want to be facetious here. GM had an okay quarter, but now they've got a strike where they're losing X number of money a day. Ford tried to put a, uh, they tried to put some lipstick on that one. And Tesla's making a lot of cars and selling them. And there was no demand. No one's talking about demand. Remember, we always said, well, there's no real demand. Well, there, there are still questions about overall demand, well, whether they can not. I mean, they have to hit, what, 100 and something thousand in this quarter to just get to the low end. But can you say that it wasn't, a, how about it wasn't a bad quarter? Is that no, like, it was a, can it everyone was a, agree with that? Without a doubt. They made okay. money when they weren't expected to. They, they hit their delivery targets, if not exceeded them. They're I, talking by the shorts, about solar and energy. We'll see. S3 today says 75% of the shorts paper profits this year have been wiped out. Wow, how about that? And now, last oh, night... Let's not forget, a lot of this is did short covering right now. Did you see him on point. Twitter last night? Did I see who yeah. on Twitter? Elon Musk. No. Oh, that was me. I was simulating him. Remember he called me a simulation? I do. So I simulated him, it. and I said, I bashed the shorts. I really crushed them. I thought it was good. Now now I know from listening to Ned Siegel, no one was watching. But I did it anyway. <laughs> They're watching. There's some out there. You know, but there are people. You. There are a lot of people who didn't, and they've made mistakes, and you know they'll try to correct them, but not yet. I felt like it's better to go on Snap. Can well, then it disappears. Right. Yes. There's no historical record. No. Is that how they insider trade? When we come back, Dow Inc. getting a lift on an earnings beat. We'll talk exclusively to Jim Fitterling. we got to get through the airlines and Ford and eBay, our own parent Comcast, of course. Futures look pretty good here as the S&P is within 1% of all-time highs. Don't go away. Shares of Dow, Dow Chemical, are rallying ahead this morning. The company posting lower profits and sales. But it delivered an earnings beat. And I think more important, we can start talking about Dow as perhaps a play on business bottoming and doing better in 2020. Jim Fitterling is here with us. Jim, CEO of Dow, do you like my concept of why the stock might be going up? Is that business may have bottomed and going forward, we're going to start seeing some earnings momentum. Morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. I I do think that we've seen PMI uh, slow down for the last four consecutive quarters. And we saw, obviously, a step down in the oil pricing uh, about this time last year. And since then, uh, things have have moved down. Inventories are down. You've seen some of the backlog in the industrial sector down. I think we're poised right now where any pull on the industrial sector, any kind of a tailwind with all, means that we'll get a little bit of earnings momentum and and margin improvement and tightening of the supply-demand balances. Uh, what do you think about uh, what you guys are doing in terms of product lines? I don't want to get too granular because then people say, well, what does it matter? But uh, outlook for ethylene, outlook for urethane, and outlook for silicon. Because I see signs that these are all getting better. Well, silicones are, are a growing area, and the consumer obviously is very strong right now. So in the silicone space, silicones show up in a wide variety of products that you use every day. And that consumer-driven demand is really pulling that chain. Uh, we have a little weakness in the Siloxane chain, but as that downstream demand grows, and we've 
added about 18 incremental debottlenecks in those plants this year. That's going to continue to lift earnings. In ethylene, obviously polyethylene and packaging is the biggest uh, driver for that sector. We continue to see strong consumer demand and we continue to see strong demand in Asia. Uh, we were up double digits in Asia and in China uh, this quarter. I continue to see that growing, obviously changing too as we move into more circular economy type products and, and dealing with plastics waste and recyclability. And then obviously on isocyanates, uh, the consumer side is strong. A lot of isocyanates go into construction, they go into industrial, they go into automotive sector as well. And as you know, automotive, especially in China, has been a bit slow. So we see any pull of on demand on the automotive side, I think you're going to see these things take off. I want to talk about, obviously, the environment and how the alliance is do, uh, doing on plastic waste. But I also know that you've taught us, look, it's really there's about 10 rivers in the world that are producing it. Some of them are in China. You started in India to try to clean things up. Is there any way that China, which we should talk about as a major source of pollution, will play with the Council of Nations to cut back what is ending up in the Pacific Ocean? Well, China is taking big steps. I mean, we've seen uh, some real commitments to doing some projects like waste to energy conversions and trying to close that in. And the major Chinese players have joined into the alliance to end plastic waste. Sinopec is right there with us, signed on right away. Most of the, the large Asian players have signed on. The alliance is up to 43 companies now, over $1.5 billion committed to go tackle this. And it's a full value chain solution trying to look at how do we stop the waste from going out to the oceans, but also how do we stop it from going to landfill in the first place, put a value on that plastic so that people are encouraged to recycle it, bring it back into products that you use every day and into other products that haven't been invented yet, and to create a closed loop versus the linear economy which just throws it away. All right, Jim, I want to talk about some of the legacy things that I was really hoping that we'd start seeing some real movement on. Uh, cost savings, uh, talking about $700 million this year. Anyway, that can get to be even more. And then what about Kuwait and Sadara? I mean, Sadara, your predecessor really told us that Sadara, I, I, Andrew Livers, was really going to be the savior of the upside. Jim, to me, this Sadara seems like a dead weight. And it's, it, it's an albatross. It, it's a millstone around your neck. On the cost side, Jim, we, we completed the Synergy program, the $1.365 billion, and we've also taken out $125 million year-to-date on stranded costs. We've got another $75 million coming out in fourth quarter, and then the last 100 will come out in the first half of 2020, so that's good. On, on the Kuwait side, really, MEG, monoethylene glycol, commodity price margins have collapsed. And that's really what's putting the drag on, on Kuwait. But Kuwait, uh, as a low-cost producer, is, is really good for the long term. And Sadara, as I mentioned before, is really about the financing that was done on the project. So it was really heavily loaded with project financing. We made a lot of progress in the third quarter together with Aramco to do some things to get ready to reprofile that debt. And as we do this in the fourth quarter, we'll finish the last agreement that will create the project completion date, and then we'll go into the beginning of the year renegotiating the debt with the lenders. And what that does is it takes 10 years of straight-line depreciation on that full debt on Sudara, and we'll stretch it out over a much longer tenor. And that's really the drag that you see on Sudara. Its cost position is good. It generates EBITDA. 
but its financial expense right now is what we have to address. And in this environment, this is the right time to get that done. All right, one, one last question that's a little more ethereal, uh, and to use Ned Siegel's uh, Jack, Jack Dorsey word, existential. I think that what's happened, Jim, you know I've said this to you before, that there are a lot of money managers who are now millennials, and they think that plastic is basically something that should not be made. You and David Taylor have made the case to me that while you think that plastic is bad, the things that you need, the amount of energy you need, the amount of resources you need to make an alternative, frankly, make it so plastic may actually be better for the environment. Could you please explain that to people? Because a lot of people feel that's just impossible. Well, we have to manage both the plastics and the plastic waste issue and the carbon and the climate change issue, and they're interlinked. And so one of the reasons plastics has grown so much is you can make it so strong and so lightweight that you can replace much heavier materials and materials that take a lot more energy to produce. So glass, metal, even paper, for example, take four to five times as much energy to produce as plastics. And then you're transporting all of that weight over long distances, so you're burning more transportation fuel to get it there. The carbon footprint is much more. If you replaced all the plastic packaging today with those other materials, waste would increase 25 times. That isn't the direction we want to go. We simply need to close the loop on plastics, get it recycled, get it converted back into other materials, convert it back into energy in many cases because it has a high energy value, and we have a way to do that. And I think people are trying to make this to be an insurmountable problem. It is not. The plastic waste in the ocean issue is 8 million tons a year. That's a very manageable number. We'll tackle that with the alliance and with governments and with local municipalities on programs to show them how to make this work. And that's what the Alliance is all about. Well, I got to salute you, Jim. I know that your work with the Alliance is real, that it's not what we call greenwashing. I know you two are very concerned that we get the, pl- the plastic island out in the Pacific, and you're working real hard to do it. I want to thank Jim Fiddling, CEO at Dow Chemical. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. When we spoke to Gary Kelly last quarter of Southwest, he expressed his pleasure, obviously, with Boeing's handling of the 737 MAX. We're unhappy that it's taken so long, and um, we're in the dark, on, just like you are, on a number of technical matters. Our pilots are heavily engaged in working with uh, Boeing to understand the changes. We were anticipating getting 41 more deliveries of the MAX this year, and so our exposure with our route system uh, grows. Gary Kelly is going to join us after Southwest took a $210 million hit from Boeing this quarter. Meantime, look at the pre-market, and we'll get to some of the other names we have not yet gotten to, like Microsoft, in a moment. Got some upbeat reactions to earnings from the likes of Microsoft, PayPal, and Southwest. We're going to talk to Gary Kelly of Southwest in a moment. First, though, Kramer's Mad Dash and the opening bell in five and a half minutes. Let's squeeze in a mad dash and get you ready for the opening bell two and a half minutes from now. So many different earnings uh, stories this morning. PayPal's one you want to feature on the on the mad dash. PayPal shares came in at a 52-week low. That's really important to know. It's down 16% in the second quarter. Well, you know what? Dan Schulman basically delivered a clinic about how to be able to make it so that you are doing much better than anybody expected. They're increasing the number of merchants. They've just signed on a huge number of people. Venmo is now going to be a from a headwind uh, to a tailwind. And David, China. 
they are the first, we don't talk about enough, but in September, they got approval to buy 70%, 70% of a major play on Chinese e-commerce. And Dan Schulman ended the call by talking about how to do business with the Chinese. Play with the, go deal with the regulators. Do not be a disruptor. Payments in China, is, it's Alipay, it's Tencent. I mean, you're talking about huge players there. I don't know what their plan is there, what they do. but Their, their plan is to be part of industrial pay, but also e-commerce. There's a 500, 500 million people in e-commerce. And he said, if you're not in China, you're nowhere. Uh, I've got, you know, David, Dan Schulman, I think a lot of people felt that after the last quarter he was going to miss. He did not miss. He blew it away. They've Stock got a lot of money. Stock at about 30 times adjusted uh, 2020 but ETS, I think it's but it's growing, it's growing over 20% yes. maybe? Look, it, it could earn, you know, it, what, the street estimates were at 316. I think it could earn 350. So I don't know how expensive it is versus the fintech group. Uh, it was down too low. Schulman acquitted himself incredibly. The metrics there are really much better. And, you know, he's partnered with everybody. For instance, he's got this American Express deal where you can split a check with Venmo. I often find myself out and there's like a big, there's a little like a tray of everybody's Amex card when you go out to dinner. Not anymore. Well, really, by the way, really you know what? appreciate it if you just picked it up, Jim. Well, I no, use, when I pick it up, pick you know up? what I use? I use my Apple Golden <laughs> Do you have one? No. Why not? No. Do you have a, what, a Magnesius? What do you got? <laughs> I got a couple of cards. I have my yeah. Apple card, and I'm, you know, I, I, don't leave, I no longer leave home without it. Yeah. I do not leave home without my Apple card. Actually, uh, the green card is getting a big uh, redo I over know. at Amex. It's going to be revolving credit. It's a big deal. The millennials love it. I happen to love that San Francisco. I mean, it's a little jam, but you go to that. David, did, did the cat, the podcast just count, catch his gigantic yawn when I talked about this? It wasn't the a city? yawn. I was just breathing in a lot of air. Just pretending I was in the so, pool. So I'll get you like a, a CPAP mask so that you can sleep and breathe at the same time. Cleansing, cleansing breath. Thank you, uh, Carl. Or maybe it's in honor of the opening bell where we got uh, precious metals company Nova Gold Resources ring again at the NASDAQ. It's Baldwin Risk Partners, provider of insurance and risk management insights. Jim, I did see that you thought uh, Microsoft was best in show again. Oh, my. Such an Adela. I, look, they're just growing. Yeah, the headline was funny. It said, well, Azure's not growing as fast. I mean, Amy Hood is one of the best CFOs. But he said, look, when you're crushing it like we are, you're gathering, you're getting more and more people who are using our product. So we can't maintain that level of, of, uh, of growth. But anybody who's on that rather short call recognizes that gaming, 2 billion people now in gaming. Let's not forget that. Uh, we're, the actual day, the iOS uh, 13, some people feel this is now better. Wait, what? Were you no, I'm just this giving is, you a little Microsoft. hard time. No, yeah. I'm giving you like Microsoft versus Apple. Yeah. Uh, but I, well, I'll tell you what I really liked about Microsoft was that Satya Nadella is basically making deals with everybody. So he made a good deal with Oracle. He made a good deal with VMware. They are really uh, SAP. They SAP. also have a new deal with. So it's all about uh, partners. And, and I, you know what? I thought it was a monster quarter. Uh, generate a huge amount of cash. Just throw it off. The stock's going to go to its all-time high. If not today, then next week. It was that perfect a quarter. Well, their, and, their cloud business continues to grow. Oh, the cloud business Azure is so is what good. We talk about. It's what, 11 of the $33 billion in revenues or so for the quarter, I think. Um, Un- they, Unders- he also spent a lot of time talking about AI. 
And something oh, I talked a bit my. about, the AI5G and the edge where so much information and data is generated and the ability, their, their, what is going to be their ability to, to deal with that at the edge of the network as opposed to sending it back. That was very important. And, and, they talked and about it will become more important. That's what we talked to Ginny Rometty and Hans Vestberg and uh, Steve Molenkoff about a few weeks ago right. when I did that 5G conversation. But if I were the in the cloud business, even with Amazon Web Services, I'd be worried about how aggressive Satya really is. They are, you know, the hybrid cloud solution is perfect for them. You should listen to Amy Hood, the CFO, just talking about how much money they are making. They are growing as if they are a mid-range company, okay? They are not growing as if they're one of the two largest companies in the world. This was a fabulous quarter, and the headline writers are so stupid. There is no slowing of growth whatsoever there. If anything, I could argue that, that Azure, which has unbelievable gross margins, Amazing. is accelerating among all its different parts. Well, you have to be a little more cautious on, on what hard hardware, the outlook for IT spending on hardware is, right? Yeah, but you know what? These guys are just, they're everywhere you have to be. I mean, LinkedIn. I mean, here's an acquisition that they made. People don't. People should be thinking about how big LinkedIn is. Xbox is still delivering great things. The Surface is doing okay, but at least it's not hurting them. But you, when you're talking about, saying, a company like Novartis using their artificial intelligence to be able to tailor individual drug needs, I mean, that's extraordinary. This company's more like Skynet than you thought, David. Well, it will only become even more so as AI creeps into everything, as, as uh, Satya was saying on the call. Uh, it was just... Well, I mean, we're in the earliest days of artificial intelligence still. I, I don't understand when you see a quarter that comes out and the stock starts going down because they say things are slowing. That's just outrageous. People, please do not trade a, a, if the headlines. Because in, in 13 short pages on that conference call, you heard about a company that really is hitting on all cylinders. That is really, I think, that we never hear them, by the way. Does anyone ever say, I want them broken up? I mean, no one's talking about them being broken up, and yet they've got the best pastiche of business of any large six, tech company. 63% growth in Azure revenue. Thank you. Uh, and how about the reps? Constant how, I mean, how about the margins? Do you see the margins yeah, they're, there? They're enormous. Yeah. So really good job. Stock's up too. It should be up more. It will be. Speaking of being broken up, uh, report card on Zuckerberg's performance yesterday. All right. So here's my thinking. First of all, he didn't take the bait. At any given moment, he could have taken the bait. Second, he talked about transparency. Very smart. He talked about empowerment. That's what you wanted. He gave in on Libra talking it so it should be a dollar-based uh, cryptocurrency. That was very smart. He blunted that, and he was right on script to talk about how the Chinese will have ownership if the United States doesn't leave. David, I thought it was a tour de force because he did not get rattled. And his haircut. I mean, you can't say enough about that. You went right to the substance. I'm sorry that I dealt so much you with it. me. I'm all about appearances. David, you judge how, do you judge an e-book by its cover? I'm an extraordinarily shallow human being. Well, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that. No. But well, you're I, a dollar sign. I figured masquerading. I am. I, I thought he was going to go about whether it was cashmere or whether it was actually bought at TJ Maxx. I, I'm I, I applaud his willingness to continue to pound against a, a wall that's not going to move. Well, in terms I think, of trying you know, to get frankly, Libra. if we're going to talk sartorially, well, I'd rather move on well, to Gary Keller. We'll, we'll, we'll cover Zuck later, maybe. Uh, I mean, uh, I have a lot been more some to conflicting say on opinions Zuck. about his appearance well, yesterday. No, I have fair. a lot more to say. I'm not done. 
shares of Southwest are rallying. Uh, third quarter profit up seven. Uh, strong demand and higher fares offset the hit from the 737 MAX. Joining us first on CNBC is Southwest Chairman and CEO Gary Kelly. Gary, it's great to have you back. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you all. I got a haircut yesterday, by the way. So. <laughs> You look good. That's the first. That's the first thing we care about. Um, we talked about our, your last appearance on this show, uh, where you were quite candid about your assessment of of the Max. Are you feeling any better three months later? Well, yes and no. You know, we we uh, have missed our uh, our assumptions, if you will, for uh, how things were going to pan out here in the third, fourth quarter. But uh, we're a lot closer today to a resolution than we were then. So. Uh, you know, I'm feeling good about that. Uh, the FAA has reported that uh, they have the final version of the software. It's in the certification process, uh, so that's a major step forward. Does uh, Boeing's Q4 target uh, for at least the early phase in of return to service make sense to you? It, it does make sense, but I think everything has to go pretty perfectly. And uh, at this point, it's up to the FAA. And uh, obviously, we don't want it returned to service until it's ready. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of scrutiny and, and a lot of hard work uh, to get it to this point. So uh, we're feeling good about the process from here and not, not as confident about timelines. But the main thing is we need to get it right. And when it's ready, uh, we'll get to work and we'll get it returned to service. Gary, it's Jim. It, it, look, I got to tell you, you always come on good and bad. This is good. I, I felt that despite what happened with Boeing, you kind of had incredible numbers. What's going on that the numbers turned up so much? Are we too bearish about the state of flying and travel in America right now? Uh, maybe. And, and thanks for uh, turning to that, uh, Jim, because I, I did want to brag on our people. Uh, it was a tremendous quarter. You know, the numbers are quite good. Uh, the earnings per share is up 13.9%, but for the max, it would have been up over 40%. Uh, so there's just a lot for investors to be enthusiastic about. And there's nothing bearish about travel right now. Our travel demand is very, very good. Strong unit revenue growth. Uh, we're looking at uh, a prospect of unit revenue growth again, despite a not so great uh, schedule in the fourth quarter, because we have a lot of flights in off-peak periods because of the max uh, grounding. Uh, and even with that, we're looking at a very strong revenue environment. So. Uh, yeah, I was very pleased, and our people did a great job producing uh, a, a wonderful operation. Customer uh, feedback has been very high, so uh, except for the max, everything else uh, is uh, just uh, doing very, very well. Gary, what will the pilots want in terms of retraining? It, the uh, Boeing's talking about, say, a little, a little more than 20 hours plus, uh, you know, say, 23, 24 on, on retraining. Uh, are your pilots more concerned that maybe they need to spend more time uh, because they want people to feel who are, they want the passengers to feel more confident about being in this plane? Well, I think that's important. Uh, we, we're, we're going to have to convince uh, not just our own people, but our customers, that everything is fine and everything is safe. And so uh, we'll, we'll certainly satisfy ourselves. But it doesn't hurt to go to the uh, extra effort just to check and recheck and check again. But no, our pilots are very comfortable with the training. Uh, we've already done refresher training on the MAX itself. And then, of course, there will be additional training required uh, once the uh, uh, airplane is returned to service. 
Uh, so we'll have plenty of training. We'll have plenty of uh, uh, non-revenue flights, if you will, before the airplane is actually put back into revenue service. Uh, and we'll, we'll be very confident in the airplane uh, before we put a passenger on there. Gary, um, the, the bulls on the street argue that uh, when it does come back, it's going to allow your revenue management system uh, to really uh, take full flight, so to speak. But there are those who are still worried about unit costs, uh, not so much at Southwest as some other carriers that somehow we're in for uh, a, a first half of 2020 where that's going to be a worry. Uh, how do you balance those two things? Well, you know, one of the things, back to Jim's earlier question about the numbers here in the third quarter, is our cost performance. So our costs are performing better than we had um, budgeted for the year. I'm very proud of our people there. We've got another really good cost outlook uh, for the fourth quarter compared to our budget. Uh, and I hope all of that extends into next year. I think the issue for us, uh, not speaking about the industry, the issue for us with next year is just not having certainty on how the max will unfold uh, in terms of uh, our flying. Uh, there are, there are, we have 34 airplanes, Boeing will owe us another uh, 70 airplanes or, or you know, plus or minus next year and just exactly how those are paced and returned into service is going to be a challenge and so uh, we'll have to staff up to be ready for the flights and then obviously uh, that won't be optimal if we have more resources than we have airplanes. So all of that is a little bit uh, in play, but uh, by the time we get to the second half of next year, I hope we're back to normal uh, and we should be having very good cost performances. So the yep. main cost pressure that we have is with airport cost and all that investment. Uh, everything else, uh, you know, I'm pretty pleased with the outlook over the next couple of years. Gary, when you were here a couple of quarters ago, you talked about, I asked you about, uh, what are you going to do with Boeing? And you said, you know what, we're going to take that up privately. Well, you subsequently have had the discussions. Are you, one, let down by the way Boeing has acted post the accidents? And two, satisfied that they've given you enough of a mea culpa that you feel that you can go to your people and say, you know what, I've dealt with Boeing they have been very forthright with me, and I think we can repair that relationship, or is it irreparable? Well, Jim, I, I certainly don't think it is irreparable. I, I stand by my belief that Boeing is a great company with great people, has done great things for our country and our economy, and um, should have every opportunity to get this behind them. But, you know, I've been very clear. We're not happy about our situation. Um, you know, we put, we put our future in the hands of Boeing and the Max, and we're grounded. Uh, and I think that that pretty much sums it up. My focus right now is twofold. One is I want to settle with Boeing uh, to recover our damages. Number two, I want to get this airplane back into service safely, and those are our two focus items. Where we go from here is a question I've also made clear that we'll address next year as to whether or not the strategy that we've deployed for 48 years is the one that we want for the next 48 years, and that uh, is something that uh, our board has asked me to look at, and you know our team will take a hard look at that. But that's something that for mean? later. Right now it is, let's right. get this airplane back up in the air safely. But your board is asking to take a look at whether or not you should use Boeing as your sole supplier? 
not new news, of, uh, of course, absolutely. And I brought it up, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, that is a, it's a strategic question in two senses. Are they the right partner going forward, number one, but number two, the wisdom of having one aircraft type. You're looking right. at the, an airline that is the safest in, uh, arguably the safest in the world with Boeing equipment uh, and having a sole yeah. uh, you know, supplier and every pilot in our airline is expert on the 737. So there's a lot of advantages, not just efficiency, but just safety advantages to being devoted to one aircraft type. I'm not saying we're gonna change. I'm simply acknowledging that that's something that will need to be reviewed and next year will be the time to review that. But just to be clear, Gary, uh, are we talking about diversifying within Boeing's fleet types or migrating to a different manufacturer? And I wonder what you think uh, Herb would have said about all that. Well, I, I know what Herb would have said because I, I know what he did say. And um, we've always evaluated other aircraft other aircraft manufacturers, and especially when there's new technology that comes on the market. Um, we've done that numerous times in my 34 years at Southwest Airlines. So next year will be appropriate for us to do that again. And yeah, I'm primarily talking about diversify, diversifying from having a sole supplier. Uh, we have no interest in having smaller airplanes, bigger airplanes. We want to stay in the narrow body uh, uh, market. Uh, but uh, again, this isn't new news, and it's something that uh, I think you all would expect, our investors would inspect, expect, and certainly right. uh, our board would expect that we would consider that. Yeah. Um, Gary, if I could come back to something we were, uh, you, you mentioned just a, a few moments ago, which is the potential delivery of as many as 70 planes next year, and the potential for that to sort of... Uh, well, how you would pace it. Can you explain a bit more behind that in terms of what your expectations are or how you're going to mitigate any potential problems as a result that you seem to allude to from having that many planes suddenly hitting the system? And if memory serves me, in other words, uh, we end next year, assuming a back to service here uh, shortly, we end next year with somewhere around 110 MAX aircraft. Uh, and we have 34 currently in our possession. So. Um, there are 300 or so uh, or more grounded around the world and this is unprecedented for uh, Boeing, Southwest, other airlines, the FAA, other uh, international regulatory agencies to work together to return these aircraft physically to service. And we have a plan. Uh, but we just have to expect that uh, we may have to call some audibles with that plan. So we just don't know how many airplanes can be returned in a week. And right now we're being conservative uh, with our assumptions. But I think that's the main thing. And then, of course, Boeing uh, it has to build airplanes as well. And they've maintained their production capacity at, uh, I think they cut it from 52 to 42 a month. And hopefully they'll sustain that. But in order for us to maintain our future flight schedule, they'll need to increase their production capacity back, uh, I think, to 52 a month uh, for us to get all of our airplanes. So a lot of questions there to work through, but right now, based on all of our conversations with Boeing, our working assumption is that if the airplane is ungrounded in December uh, and um, uh, you know, nothing else uh, comes to light, then we should be back uh, where we would have been roughly the middle 
uh, of next year. And uh, I would be just fine with that uh, right now with all the delays that we've had. So that, that would be fantastic. Gary, your uh, airline is founded upon one major principle, which is that the customer is always right. Well, in this case, you are the customer when it comes to Boeing. Are you happy with the changes, with the separation of chairman and CEO? Would you like to see a new CEO? Are you happy with Dennis Bolenberg and the communication he's given you? Or do you say to yourself, we need a clean break or else I am going to go to Airbus? Well, again, we're... I go back to we're not happy. Uh, if their board thinks that splitting the chairman uh, CEO role is the right thing to do, that's fine with me. I, I don't know that I have a, an opinion on that. Um, we work very closely, of course, of course, with the commercial unit, which was led by Kevin McAllister. And uh, Kevin, in my opinion, did a phenomenal job and inherited uh, you know, this mess. Uh, he was only there a very short time. So we have a long relationship with him. and. I have nothing but thanks uh, for the way he, he's been working with us. Uh, Stan Deal is uh, someone we know very well, and it's just indicative of the talent that Boeing has. Stan is a very fine executive, uh, and we have a lot of confidence in his leadership. Uh, we work less at the corporate level uh, with Dennis, and uh, again, I think uh, you know there's there's no question that uh, there have been a lot of issues that have come to light over the last uh, year. So um, we're not happy and uh, we'll be uh, working with them privately to make sure that we address uh, our issues. Gary, appreciate your time as always. Uh, stock's up 6% now. Uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Gary Kelly, well, thank Southwest you all for Airlines. You bet. Thanks, Gary. Quick programming note here uh, on Jim. Coming up tomorrow night on Mad Money, American Airlines CEO Doug Parker. We'll see how much of Gary's Same comments get echoed. Same questions come out yeah. there. Same yeah. questions. And Gary Kelly, what can I say? How much do you love that guy? I like his haircut, too. Oh, Jesus. That's the I last like time haircut. you get to use that. A little levity. Come on. Serious issue. And he right. was very serious about it, actually. Well, I thought it was He kept saying it's not new news. It's but totally new news. LeBeau says this is a, yeah, no. as explicit as he has been. Okay. Explicit. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Not, yeah. The haircut was new news. All right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, Southwest with a nice gain as we talked to Kelly. Why but, not? Um, the numbers were amazing. Yep. I expected a total fiasco. Uh-uh. Not with no. Gary. Uh, Boeing, of course, lower, uh, as is the Dow right now, down 34 points as S&P's hanging on to 3,008. When we come back, we mentioned PayPal getting a big lift on that earnings beat. We'll talk to the CFO in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Time for Jim and Stop Trading. You know what? I actually thought that 3M would have a little bit better reaction because I think Mike Roman's trying to get his arms around the, the uh, stock pro the problems. But softness in China is always going to matter. There's still issues involving some of these core businesses that I think it, that are related. Let's just say healthcare should be better. I like healthcare. But overall, people just must have expected something that was like Lamb Research, which was the other one I was going to use, which was the best quarter last night. It's the PFAS problem. Yeah, and PFAS is something that they're struggling with, and this is this groundwater issue. Uh, I, I'm waiting for Tusa to come out and lower his price target, 3M. That's Steve Tusa, who is the J.P. Morgan analyst, who must be on vacation because he hasn't said anything bad lately about GE. No, he hasn't. Now that is down up 1% today, GE. Well, people must figure he's bad. They, they are one of the companies that have cut guide since last night. 25 have cut, 11 have raised. Well, gee, gee, look, the cash flow is strong, but the softest in China, the softest in autos. Autos is a continual theme. You know, we didn't get to Ford 
Um, another another guide cut. Yeah, and uh, you know Ford is trying. Let's say they're giving her all she got. It's kind of like Scotty and the, you, you know Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. He's yeah. giving her all she's got. That's all yeah. she's got, Captain. I, and I didn't. You know, I didn't see their haircuts, David. I'm sorry that I can't be more on point. All right. Well, just make sure to keep an eye on that in the future, will you, please? Um, Apple, what? Microsoft, Apple, market look, cap. UBS raises, you know, game. UBS says, look, it really is on fire and you can own it right through to 5G. That's important. And Microsoft, I told you, Amy Hood, the most diffusive she has ever been. And she, that's because she's completely flat and is not effusive at all. Never got to our parent company this morning. Yeah, what was that about, it, David? It's a good quarter, but it's not really up that much. Uh, they... The day is early. Record, uh, record broadband ads, but 230,000, 238,000 fewer uh, subscribers to the video product, but they only want to keep profitable. Right. And some good color on Peacock, yeah. arguing it's going to get cruising altitude before a lot of other streaming services do. Right. Ad supported, obviously, as it is. Can I just go back to this land research for a second? This is heavy, con- uh, heavy equipment, semiconductor. China, incredibly strong. So we're starting to see a pattern. People didn't expect it. Incredibly strong numbers for PayPal in China with that new deal. Incredible numbers that we're seeing for ch- in China for LAM research. Uh, obviously, the Tesla comments, fastest to ever build, 10 months to buy. There's, uh, China's let it doing silently some things that are not entirely negative. And remember on the Boeing call, you throw in some orders for two 787s, and we're back in business. I hope the Chinese listened to that conference call. I hope they didn't listen to the Gary Kelly. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Gary Kelly not only didn't make no news whatsoever, uh, but I had actually never heard that, what he said to me, until I heard it from David. When David asked. It wasn't In other news. words, it was news. Come on. No, we're it was news. I don't even ha- I didn't have a chance to lift my head about what's on tonight. Well, we'll I, find out at six. I missed an act game last night. I, I caught two seconds of the Sixer yeah. game. But Nick Akins has always done the straight story of American Electric Power. And you know what? Michael Nydorf will tell us about single payer, which, by the way, the country's starting to rebel against. Don't you sense that? we got to go right to break. Let's do that. Uh, With the Dow down 65, we're back in just a minute. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 